here, but we resumed. And next week I'll be preaching. God's really impressed upon me to start another ser- a series, which is pretty rare for me, uh, about the kingdom. Don Babin's message on the kingdom just shook me. And we're going to be uh, dealing with that the next few weeks. And it will culminate because Jesus, the 40 days that he was on the earth, he taught about the kingdom. And at the culmination of all that was Pentecost Sunday, which happens to be May the 19th. And which happens to be, we didn't plan it this way, but I think God already knew. But Ron Campbell will be here May the 19th on Pentecost Sunday. So it's going to, it's all going to, it's falling into place the way the Lord wants it to fall into place. We're a worshiping church. I don't know if you visited this morning. You probably wondered after about four songs, when are they taking up the offering? And when are they doing this or that? But we, we love to worship. It's been prophetically spoken spoken over us that we would be a church that worships. So we don't like time constraints, and I'm sorry we we don't change things up for Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we don't. It's no more special. I mean, it's special, but every Sunday is special. Every day is special. So we celebrate Jesus like this every every Sunday. So if you come here going, well, I bet next week it's probably not going to be like. Yeah, it will be because that's what we do. Uh, we feel like that the world gets a lot of our time. And at least we can give the Lord is an hour and a half, two hours a week to really be in his presence and celebrate who he is. Because we believe that once you come into the presence of God, that's when your life is changed. We believe when you step into the presence of God that that's when, that's when you get healed. That's when you get restored. That's when you get delivered. And a lot of people walk into church, Christians included. We, we walk in here and we were dragging our baggage, so to speak. And God doesn't want us to be weighted down with those things, the sin or the, the things of the world. He doesn't want us to be weighted down with that. So during worship, I don't know if you notice it, but we kind of jump around and we, we just, we're, we're excited to be in His presence. Just like, how many of you have grandkids? How many of them have ever performed in front of you? And you thought they were the best. <laughs> well, that's what we do. We, we get in front of our Father and we, we, we perform for Him. In other words, we lift him up and say, this, we love you, Father. And I I think he smiles. I think God does a lot of smiling. And I think God chuckles a lot. Anybody ever thought about that? He chuckles a lot? Because like you're going through something and you, God, why? And he's chuckling because I'm teaching you something. You're going to learn something here. So he chuckles because he knows the end result. But we, uh, the title of the sermon today is, How Do You See Jesus? We are a very, very visual people. Would you all agree? How many of you have a television in your home? Raise your hands and keep it up. Now, if you have more than one, keep your hand up. More, one, more than one TV. More than two televisions in your house, keep your hands up. I'm not going to go any further because people will look at you and, oh, I've got one in my bathroom. I've got one in my closet. When my wife runs me out, I can watch ESPN in the closet. We're a very visual people. I mean, we, we like our toys. How many of you have a portable DVD player? See, I want to embarrass you because uh, we got all sorts of stuff. Uh, we, we just do. God gave us these eyes to see. But sometimes, church, we don't see very clearly. And God wants us to see him. He wants us to see his son. He wants to see the father clearly. And so I'm praying. Let me just bow your heads real quickly. I want to pray. Father, open the eyes of our heart this morning. Open the eyes, it says in Ephesians, of our understanding. Bind our eyes to your, your heart today, Father, that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. 
He said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men to me, all women, all children. And he draws us today together in this place to celebrate him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week I shared about, you know, God the Father gave Jesus the Son a, a, a commission or a purpose when he sent him to earth. You know, he's born, uh, he's born from a virgin of a virgin. He came and at the age of 30, he, was, he began his ministry. He began it by being baptized in the Jordan River. Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then he was encountered by the enemy, Satan. He was victorious there, not, not just to say he was victorious of the resurrection, but he was victorious there because he spoke the word of truth. And he began his ministry of healing, of preaching, of teaching, of raising the dead, miracles, feeding thousands and thousands of people with very little food. He, be, he began his ministry, and he, he just did that for three years. Now, I want you to know not many people can affect the world just living three years and doing what he did for three years like Jesus did. Matter of fact, nobody can. No one can. You're here today because of what he did thousands of years ago. Isn't that amazing? Does that amaze you? In Luke 4, 18, the commission, one of the commissions of Jesus was this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight. Say recovery of sight. To the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. So today on Resurrection uh, the Resurrection Day, the Resurrection Celebration, I like what our sign says, Resurrection Joy. Today on this day, we're going to be looking at how we see Jesus. Now, in that chapter 20, I just, when I was praying about this sermon, because you, got, you have to realize, if you preach this every year, you look for different angles. And I used to just say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? I need to make this different, you know, from somebody's different perspective. But when we start doing that, we start trying to do it in our flesh. And the story is powerful enough on its own. Um, so I just asked the Holy Spirit, show me what I'm supposed to, to see. And he showed me this. Mary Magdalene saw the stone had been taken from the tomb. Say, saw. Peter went to the tomb first, into the tomb. I love that story where John runs. He outruns Peter. Can you imagine that race? The race of life. John said, I'm going to get there first. And Peter's just lagging behind. You know, he's a fisherman. He's probably got a hook in his leg or something. He, 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 he's slower, but Peter is the more brash and bold one. So John gets there, and he's just kind of peering in. And I can just see Peter come and just push him out of the way. He goes in, and he says, looking in. Peter went in the tomb first, looking in. He saw the linen cloth lying there. Then John, of course, after he saw, well, it's okay. Peter went in there. I guess I'll go in too. And he walked in, and he saw and believed, the Bible says. Now, there's a lot of thought on what he believed. Well, he maybe just believed that Jesus was gone. Don't know. The disciples left, but Mary stood outside the tomb, and she was weeping, and then she looked into the tomb. And what did she see? Two angels. Then Mary saw, after she walked out of the tomb, she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. A lot of theories, a lot of speculation. Why didn't she know it was Jesus? Well, I, I, I contend that she had so many tears in her eyes and it was so early in the morning, and that's the last thing you expect to see. Think about it. It's the last thing, you know. 
Go to a funeral, you see them, you see them lowered in the grave. I mean, I've been to two funerals this week. And then the, the last thing you expect from Mary is to go and stand around and here's the gardener. She thinks he's the gardener. Guess the relationship of Adam. Y'all see the, the relationship of Adam there, the first gardener? And the second Adam, Jesus, is in the garden. God doesn't do anything by happenstance, okay? He just doesn't. But she was teary-eyed. It was early in the morning. She didn't understand it. She was just in, probably in shock. And she turns around and sees the gardener. And what, where, what have y'all done with my Savior? And then he responded to her. He said, Mary. She saw the Lord then. Look, he said, she went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. Hmm. Then Sunday evening comes and the disciples are all huddled you wonder how much john really believed that that morning because sunday evening they're all huddled together and they're in fear for their lives a lot of people go those bunch of chickens i mean he already told them what was going to take place listen they were killing anybody that was associated with jesus they were just they were natural men that were afraid for their lives and they're hiding inside locked doors and jesus shows up there's just 10 of them there yeah 10 why are there 10? Judas had done what? He hung himself. He was dead. Thomas was where? He was somewhere else. <laughs> he was hiding somewhere else. So Jesus appears to the, uh, to the 10. And then he says, look at my hands. And, and I know the movie, the depiction. I, don't, I believe the, the nail prints were actually in his hands. Okay. Uh, I know different movies show different things. But when he says hands, I believe it was hands. He said, look at my hands and put your finger there where the spear struck. And they, they believed. Now, this is, the, this is the funny part, I think. Jesus goes away, and the ten, they, I'm sure they can't wait to find Thomas, you know? Man, you're not going to believe this, Thomas. We saw Jesus, and he's alive. Whoa. Can you imagine missing that can't you imagine missing that i mean the greatest the presentation the, he, he shows up in this room and and there are 10 of them there and i'm sure man they're just like giving it to thomas man you should have been there you should, if you'd have been hanging out with us you'd have been okay he showed himself to us he must like us more than he liked you you know nobody wants to miss that first occasion like the your baby's first steps how many of you missed seeing your baby's first steps yeah, it's just not cool. Even on video, it's just not the same thing. You know, or your son's first touchdown, you were at the concession stand. <laughs> oh, what? Joey scored a touchdown, his first touchdown. Oh, I can't believe I missed that. I went to the Super Bowl in 93. Only Super Bowl I went to, probably ever go to. Cowboys beat the Bills in Pasadena. Y'all remember that? 52 to 17. I went with three other guys. We paid... A lot of money for our tickets. <laughs> it's back before I was a preacher. Way back. Four of us. And you know what? I, I don't drink. I, did, yeah, I just don't drink. But these guys are drinking some beer. And guess what? And when you drink enough beer, what you got to do? <laughs> I said, if I want to play that much for a ticket, I'm not moving. I'm not missing one play. And they would be gone, and the lines were like from here to 
Oak Street, you know, for the, for the toilet. And they'd come back, what happened? Well, the Cowboys scored two touchdowns, you know, and they're like, oh, I can't believe I missed it. Well, I think that's kind of the way the, uh, the disciples were. How could, how could Thomas not be here and miss all this? Thomas wanted proof. Some of you want proof. And I will believe if I see. And maybe before the end of the service, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to have proof. I'm not saying he's going to show up here. (laughs) But we'll talk about that later. See, a lot of people dog Thomas. I've moved away from that. I, I don't like to dog him. Because he said, show me proof. But, you know, that's easy for those guys to say, well, we saw him. But actually, Jesus showed them proof, didn't he? He was gracious enough. Here's the deal, guys. This is what I want to share with you this morning. I just want to share from my heart. Jesus wants you to see him. He, he's not hiding from, from you. He doesn't, he's not obscure. He's not distant. He really wants his, his people that he created, he wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. So many people go, well, if I could just this or that, or if somebody would just explain this to me or that and may give me some clear understanding, then I would believe. Listen, don't put yourself in that category. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus wants to show himself to you this morning. We're going to pick it up at verse 26, John 20. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Tom, eight days. <laughs> Jesus, couldn't you come back Monday? <laughs> he waited eight days. I'm thinking Thomas is, yeah, okay, sure, guys. Come on now, what have y'all been smoking? Seriously, eight days, he's not showing up yet. But guess what? I don't think Thomas left that group anymore after that. I think he was hanging. Can we, can, can we get away from Thomas? He's following us everywhere. He want to miss this. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, which means he could walk through walls or appear wherever he wanted to. And he stood in the midst and he said, peace to you. Then he looked at Thomas. Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now, when he said believing, that means a continual believing. He didn't didn't say just believe. He said believing, continue to believe. And Thomas answered him, and I think that depiction was probably very accurate. He probably dropped to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. See, a lot of people have said, I see Jesus. I believe he died for me. But they have never said, you're my Lord. You're my God. You kind of cross over when you get to that place. You can believe it up here, but when you really believe it here, he becomes more than uh, the guy that came, the baby that came at Christmas and the, and the guy on the cross on Good, Good Friday and then the one that re- was, rose again on, on the Resurrection Day. He becomes more than that. In that moment, he said, My Lord and my God, Thomas said that to Jesus. Now, here's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful Verses in all the Bible. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet have believed. How many of you are a believer this morning? Raise your hands. You're blessed. Say, I'm blessed. Because I believe before I saw. Okay, you're good. Today, Jesus still wants us to believe, and that's his desire. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People go, well, that doesn't say salvation. Well, actually, that's what it does say. Repentance is salvation. Repentance means renewing your mind. When uh, Taft was baptized this morning, his mind two weeks ago was renewed to believe that Jesus now was Savior, Lord and Savior of his life. Changed the way he thought. That's what that repentance means. I've been going this way, and God's changed the way I think about this or him, and I've changed the way I think. Now, this may sound strange coming out of a preacher's mouth, but it's not my job to make any of you believe. Not my job. I can't make anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus, I cannot make you believe him. I wish I could. I wish I had that power. You're all believers. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Can't do that. God didn't design us that way. He didn't design his salvation that way. But it is my job to tell you how to get there. It's your job to tell other people how to get there. If you're a Christian, it's your job. I'm paid, but you, it, it's a full-time job for all of us. Amen? Amen. Be my witnesses. John 6, says, No one can come to the Father and unto Jesus unless the Father who sent him draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. I can't save you. Jesus said, if you want to find him and see him, the Father's going to draw you to him. That's how it works. The Father draws you. So again, I will say this. Jesus wants you to see him. The Father wants you to see his son. The Father wants you to see him. Amen? John 6, 40 says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Seeing, believing. Raised up the last day. You see, seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. I'll say that again. Seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So which is right? Can, do we have to see him to believe him, or can we believe him and then see him? The answer is yes. Both. They're right. Here's a question. Why can't some people see Jesus? Why can't they believe him? Why does the majority of, of America now turn their backs on Jesus? Why, why do millions of people across the world say that he is not the Savior? Why do, not, why do people miss this most beautiful thing that God did for his people, for his creation? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, the Pharisees came, and they looked up at him on the cross. Can you imagine the audacity, the, 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 
the evil of these men that wore the pointed hats and they were, they were the most religious people of all. They looked upon the cross and said, listen, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross, then we'll believe. Because we'll see you exercise your authority and your power. You see, Jesus is not going to be commanded by men. We try to command him. We try to tell him what to do, but he's not going to fall for that. Could he have come off the cross? Sure he could have. He could have called the angels to come. Matter of fact, he didn't have to go to the cross. It was by his own will that he went to the cross. He said, I'll lay down my life gladly for them. Nobody's going to take it from me. But listen, if he would have come down off the cross, he would have completed the task that his father gave him to do, and that was to die for our sins. You know, religion has poor eyesight. Let me say that again. Religion has poor eyesight. See, we're not, I'm not about religion. If you came in here today to try to find religion, I've got to get some religion. You came to the wrong place. You come, when you come here, we're going to direct you to a relationship with Almighty God. I know that sounds kind of weird, but you can have a relationship. You can be born into his kingdom by su- surrendering, submitting yourself to him. You can't buy your way in. You can't work your way in. But you can submit your way in. Some people just can't see Jesus because the God of this age is blind to them. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. If our gospel is veiled, in other words, covered, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, if you don't believe, you're going to perish. Whose mind's the God of this age. Who's the God of this age he's talking about here? It's the devil, Satan. He's real. I know a lot of people, a lot of churches now say, well, you know, there's really not a Satan. Well, then they might as well close up their Bible and go home. Because the Bible says very clearly over and over and over we have an enemy. And he has many names, but Satan and the devil are probably the ones that most of us know him by. The God of this age is blind to them who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Here's the deal. God, if you came here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you've never made him Lord of your life, the light's shining on you. And you have a choice what you're going to do with that light. You can continue to walk in blindness and darkness. You can give your life to Christ. How we see Jesus affects everything in our life. How we view Jesus affects everything in our life. It affects how you view yourself and it affects how you view other people. If you look, if you walk through this world with your eyes blinded to Jesus and your eyes open to the world, you have a different and a disordered picture of what God has designed this world to be. Back during Christmas season, I preached uh, on the uh, peace and love and joy and what's the other one? Hope. But you know, for Christians, all those are supernatural. They're all supernatural. That's why Jesus, I, I love that scene in the movie when they re, reenacted that, when he said, it said he breathed on them. It said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. It's hard to see Jesus without the Holy Spirit. 
It's hard to see ourselves in light of Him without the Holy Spirit. It's hard for us to understand the love of God without the Holy Spirit revealing Him to us. It all begins with this thing, this five-letter word called faith. I'm almost through, believe it or not. But I'm going to go quickly, so hang on with me. And really, when I say I'm almost through, that means absolutely nothing. So just <laughs> That kind of makes you want to sit and move in the chair a little bit. Oh, okay. Get your purse, baby, where he's about through. <laughs> you can turn the cell phone back on in a minute. That's true. It doesn't really, when, pa- when pastors say that, just get ready. Yeah. Jesus wants you to see him so badly that he gives you the faith to see him. I want you to look at a few passages. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're talking about seeing Jesus. Well, faith is something you can't see. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So where does faith come from? How do we get this faith? Well, Romans 12, the second part of Romans 12, 3 says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Say, I have a measure of faith. Now, I don't know how big that measure. Mary Lou cooks a lot, and she has all of her measuring cups. I don't know how much faith that is, but I'll tell you this. It's enough to find Christ. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to see him how do we get it well you are so blessed this morning this is how you get it are y'all ready for this faith comes by say hearing and hearing by the what guess what you're hearing the gospel today i've been reading from the word of god you walk out of here lost it's your fault not mine. I'm just doing what God told me to do. We exercise this faith to believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. That not of yourselves. I am so glad. You see, some people think, I've got to work this thing up. I've, I've, got to get, I've got to get some faith, and I've got to do this to believe, and, and we just miss it because he says it's by grace that you're saved through faith. See, grace is, here's what grace is. It's you're not getting what you deserve. It's pretty awesome because what we deserve is D-E-A-T-H. We deserve death, and God says, by the grace of my son, I'm going to give you life. It's, it's free for the asking. It's a gift. Listen, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Say, gift of God. Not of works. Say that. You need to say that one. Not of works. You know why? He didn't want you to be boasting how good you are. Man, if you can get this this morning, if you, some of you are here going, Whew, man, I thought I had to be good enough to get to heaven. You never would measure up. People that think that they can work their way to heaven, 
You know what? That really is a slap in the face of God because Jesus died so you wouldn't have to work your way to heaven. So if you could work your way to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. But he died for you. He died for me. And if you've exercised your faith and believed, let me ask you this, Christians. What does your walk of faith look like? What does your walk of faith look like? You know, that goes back to how do you perceive Jesus? How do you see him in your life? I don't very often refer to newspaper articles, but I was enthralled by this when I saw this week in the uh, editorial section of the Standard Times. How many of you saw the one about the four gods, four kinds of God? Avid readers, I see. The San Angelo what? <laughs> There's an article by, uh, Baylor did a study of all people, of all, of all schools. They did a religious study. And they put it out like, se- it was one of the most extensive religious surveys ever done. Like 1,700 people were surveyed. And part of the survey, the only part of this article that, that this man was focusing on was called the, the Four Gods Perspective. You know, they weren't asking people if they believed in God, but they wanted to know how they perceived God. I thought this was interesting because of what I was speaking on. He's, they were asking them how they visualize, visualized or thought of God. And there were four types of gods that they, they put in their questionnaire. The first one is the authoritative God. 31% saw God as a wrathful, judgmental, and engaged God, a God much like the militant Jehovah of the Old Testament of the Jewish Bible. Get out of line, bang, shoot you down. Vengeful, wrathful, angry God. 31%. These 1,700 people thought that's what God's like. Hmm. The second God was viewed as a benevolent God. This group amounted to 25% of those studied. They believed in a God who is not judgmental, but fully engaged, loving, and forgiving. In other words, no judgment. Everybody's going to heaven. There is no hell. God loves everybody, and he would never, ever ask us to do anything. That's what they were. 25% of the people thought, oh, he's a benevolent God. He is a benevolent God. He's also an authoritative God. Then there was a distant God. Woo! Bless you. The God totally removed from anything personal. 23% believed in a distant God. Viewing him as a cosmic creative force that brought the universe into being. That's what they thought. He's out there and we're here. The fourth concept of God in this study was the critical God. I was brought up believing in a critical God. He's judgmental. He's not engaged. And fortunately, only 16% believed in a critical God. None of these are a full, accurate picture of God. He's not distant. He's not critical. He is benevolent, and he is authoritative. But there's so much more to God. He's a loving God. He's perfect love. But he's just. He's perfect justice. He loves you more than you can imagine. But I thought this was interesting as I'm about to close. 
Professor Paul Fries of Baylor said this. He's a professor, professor of sociology. He said, this is a very powerful tool to understand core differences in the United States. Listen very clear, carefully. He said, if I know your image of God, I can tell all kinds of things about you. It's a central part of worldview, and it's linked to how you think about the world in general. How you think about God, everybody else can tell what your thoughts are toward God by the way you live your life. Do you know that? You speak volumes by the way you live. People can see your worldview of God, your, your picture of God. Well, Jesus said this back in John 14, 9 to Philip. He said, you know, when he spoke that, let not your heart be troubled, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And In verse 9, he said, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He loved us so much that he showed us how he looked when he sent his son to die for us. That's the God that I know. That's the Jesus that I know. He said, if you'll just believe in me, that I died for your sins and I rose from the dead and I ascended to the Father, if you will just trust me with your life, I'll take care of you. That's what he said. I've got a short clip I want you to view. This is powerful. I Please don't move around if at all possible. And I'm going to pray right now, Father, that you would show people Jesus through this video. And then we're going to have an invitation. Righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. 
He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Come on, let's celebrate our king. That's my king. That's my king. That's a great, beautiful picture of our king. So I'm going to invite you to meet our king. Jody, if you'll come and play, I want our ministry team to the front. Listen, do not leave here today without meeting Jesus and making him king and Lord of your life. Let's, would you go, just bow your heads with me this morning. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I want to pray. I'm going to ask the, the people in this church just to pray for those people around you, right and left of you. Not, you don't have to look at them or just pray that the Holy Spirit will have his way here today in this place. And I want to tell you what we're about to do. When we close this prayer, we're going to invite you to step out and make public your profession that Jesus Christ, you want Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Maybe you've been walking in, in, in rebellion. You might want to come and say, I want to, make, I want to recommit my life to Christ. We invite you to come. But for those of you that have never said yes to Jesus, don't, be, don't let the enemy steal or rob your eternal destiny this morning. We invite you to step out and come and receive the King of kings and Lord of lords. He loves you so much. And just like Thomas, he says, I'm here. Would you believe me without seeing me? He said, blessed are those who believe and not see. So, Father, I just invite those this morning that have been drawn by the Father to come and make public a decision to follow Jesus. They will put their name in the book of life, never to be erased, to walk with you the rest of their life on this journey, this adventure of knowing Jesus and His love and His power. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just step out and come. We invite.